you. I guess we're grown-ups now. My name is Carrie Halstead. I'm your host. Brooke has the night off. This is episode 26. Links and show notes can be found at goodstuff.fm slash grownups slash 26. Today, I am speaking with a gentleman by the name of Victor Yako. And our topic for the evening is one I have wanted to do for a long time, is sobriety. I hope you get a lot out of tonight's show. I Guess We're Grownups Now is brought to you by FeedPress. FeedPress is an analytics and podcast hosting platform made for bloggers and podcasters. It's a simple, intuitive, and powerful RSS analytics and podcast hosting platform featuring powerful subscriber and podcast download tracking, integrated newsletters, automated publishing to popular social networks such as Twitter and Facebook, and slick drag-and-drop podcast hosting interface. Everything you need in order to submit an optimized feed to iTunes. With 250 meg of flexible file storage that rolls over monthly, you can easily upload four episodes per month. Upgrading storage is easy and affordable, starting at a flat rate of just $20 per gig. Go to feed.press slash grownups today and sign up to try FeedPress for 14 days with no contracts or commitments. Use promo code grownups during checkout to get 10% off your first year. All right, so here's the episode. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to the show, Victor Yako. Hello, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful today. Thank thanks for you. having me on. Hey, thanks for being here. I'm really excited because when I started this podcast about uh, a year and a half ago, um, I really wanted to do sobriety. I know we talk a lot incidentally about alcohol on the show because it's a part of a lot of adult people's lives. Um, but I've also got a lot of friends who are sober and knew that, you know, just talking about, uh, alcohol use isn't all there is about the adult experience. So I'm glad this is happening. Well, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Good. Tell uh, us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am an adult. I'm in my 30s. And although I am defined by many things, I am sober and I have been now for two years. And so that's one of the things that I approached you about um, coming on the show and, and speaking about. So, you know, I think that it was just sort of time for your show to have this topic and I came along, right? That's, that's what really happened. But I am also a husband and a father. I have two children from a previous marriage and I have a baby daughter from my current marriage. So that really defines me even more than being sober. I think that being sober has allowed me to redefine who I am, which prior to being sober, I was pretty much a drunk mess. Um, And now I'm much more than that. Um, I'm a father. I like to run. So I do that. And I'm not fast. I just run long distances very slowly. (laughs) I'm a writer. I have a book, Design for the Mind, coming out. It's very much focused on the work that I do, which is I'm a researcher for a design firm. So um, we do digital things like anything that would go online on a website, on a screen, like a smartphone applications. And I do the research part, which often involves talking with people and understanding how they use a product and how we can try to make it better to meet their needs. So it's not just how can we design something to make it pretty, but how can we design something to make it functional? And 
um, I've got a background in psychology and I've been doing a lot of writing on the application of psychology to the work that I do and designing and it has been fairly well received to the point where I was able to pitch a book and get a book deal and that should be coming out in the next couple months, which I've actually had it written for quite a while, the whole publication process and working with the publishers. An interesting experience, and some of the things you read about online are true. <laughs> I'll just say that. Well, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. A it's lot really... of people take undertake and never finish, so that's awesome. Yeah, for well, you. for me, it's it's something that to bring the conversation to sobriety is, is that I always wanted to write a book. And so for me, it, it is a huge accomplishment in my mind and in my life. It's one of the few things that I think you can safely say is like a, a dream or a life a lifelong goal. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I got a PhD, but I never had a dream of getting a PhD. I've, I, I guess I dreamed of having children, but it's also not necessarily something that you have to work super hard to create a child. Right. Um, you maybe just have to be lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> uh, I was lucky three times lucky, <laughs> just so that we're clear yes, on that. Yes, yes. But in case they it's hear hard this. to say, for <laughs> at least for somebody in my situation, I didn't feel like a huge accomplishment was making a baby. Right. Um, but a huge accomplishment was making a book. A huge accomplishment is being sober and being a good dad to those babies. That's that's the accomplishment part. But right. so being sober for me really works because I wasn't doing all those things. I wasn't a good person. I wasn't doing abusive things to my children, but I certainly wasn't being the person that I could be to them when I was consuming alcohol in large quantities. And I certainly passed out on a regular basis thinking about how I was going to someday write a book and mm. it never got past page one. And that turned around almost immediately when I was, when I became sober for me, yeah, I, I spent 95% of my time either drunk or thinking about being drunk. And then um, that all switched. I had to find something new to focus my time on. And, and I thought, well, why not start with something more productive, like doing this writing thing that you always wanted to do and talk about and think about doing, but don't get to. So it worked out really well for me in that regard. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Alcohol is certainly an effective one, but not the only thing in your life that can distract you from being a good parent or, you know, getting an education or writing a book. Absolutely. Um, there's so, so many distractions. <laughs> there's so many Netflix. Yes. Nobody tells you your life is a wreck because you're watching too much Netflix. But but you can look at your viewing history and you can know how many seasons of Glee or whatever you've wasted of your life. Exactly. Uh, so um, it, uh, you've been putting out a lot of writing recently in the last year or two about um, workplace issues with sobriety and alcohol use. And, um, and I want to, first of all, commend you for being out there because that can't be easy when you're balancing all of the other things in your life, but for like tackling a conversation that maybe not a lot of people feel comfortable having in such a personal way and in such an open way. Like you are always very clear that you're not anti-alcohol. And I just think it's um, really refreshing to hear 
somebody who wants to say, hey, this is the way I am and I have my reasons and here are my reasons and you have your reasons for being the way you are. Let's just like have a fair and balanced conversation about this. I'm not here to like accuse anybody of living the lifestyle that I think they should live or not living a lifestyle that I think they should live. Uh, For me, when I started writing, so first it was writing more work-related stuff around the psychology and application of psychology to design. And my story is like I was starting to get published by what would be considered the mainstream periodicals, specifically in the field that I work. So not like Time Magazine or Newsweek, but I'd be open to those opportunities. (laughs) But um, so – I felt like I was building this name for my podcast, Victor. Oh, come on. Come on. (laughs) This is my big break. Oprah, are you out there? I hope so. (laughs) She's, she is just a fan, but nothing more. No. Um, so, but I mean, I'm just trying to put it in the right perspective. Like I'm not a superstar. I don't consider myself that. Right. But you were writing for a list of parts. I was writing and I thought, you know, it's not doing a whole lot of good for me to experience the success but also know that it's really because for me personally, I got sober and I know for a fact that must mean there's so many other people out here in the same situation. And also for me, I work in design and in technology with a lot of young people and it's a field, it's it's a set of fields really that try to project this really hip culture. And mm-hmm. part of that is around alcohol use and not having clear – boundaries around its use at work. So for example, a workplace keg is not only common, but it's often a selling point around like, why are we a cool place to come work for or work with? And, you know, a refrigerator full of beer or hard liquor. And that leads to the atmosphere being that nobody is going to be critical of you if you have a beer sitting at your desk at noon and nobody's probably counting how many beers you've had. And for me, When I was consuming alcohol, that was such a blessing because what it meant was I could get a great head start on my night of drinking by having a whole day of drinking. But then being sober, I realized how how much that handicapped me and how uncomfortable I was becoming sober in an environment where there wasn't a lot of support because it just wasn't looked at as an issue. And so I had to start in my mind at least, I had to start doing something more than just writing neat little articles about the application of psychology design, but actually saying, I'm someone who is experiencing now a tremendous amount of success when compared to what I had been. And I just want to say that I couldn't be doing this if I had kept up the habits I had. And I know that there are a lot of other people out there who are just like me And so I'm not going to be afraid to speak up and say, if you like me, if you think I'm half decent, like there's probably somebody around you who you think the same way about who could be experiencing a lot more success if we offered them more support around their either attempting to become sober or their ability to opt out of consuming alcohol, for example, at at events that we have, you know, instead of saying everybody, you know, we're going to go to the bar and and just leave it at that, there needs to be some level of understanding that like, and some of us aren't going to drink and we're not going to question why. And it's not a big deal. Like just little things. Yeah. No. And I think it's a, 
really good reminder. So on a lot of levels there, like having it normalized that not everybody drinks all the time, um, is so critical. Like I was listening to you, you on a podcast earlier. And one of the things you said that really struck me was alcohol doesn't need an advocate. Like there are lots of advertisers, people promoting, it's just available. Nobody needs to be out there like saying alcohol is okay. Like everybody gets that. Right. But yeah, what no, isn't get, out there is people saying, like, being sober is also okay. Even if it's just some nights you're sober. Even if it's just this year you're sober. Even if it's for all of your life you're sober. Like, those are all valid options too. Alcohol and its consumption is not the battle I'm trying to fight against. It's something that I think is safe to say prohibition was a failure and nobody wants to go back there. Like I get that. And that's not where I see this heading either, but yeah, all around the, so don't make it a big deal. Don't make it such a big deal that alcohol consumption is the focus. Just have it be there and have it be also cool if you're staying sober. And I was talking to somebody else who, has had actually struggled with some addiction issues and they were telling me something that struck me, which is when you are an alcohol or a drug abuser and you're in a setting like a bar and you're sober, you feel like you stick out. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this thing where you actually hold yourself to a different standard. Whereas, so if you carry, don't have an issue and you decide tonight I'm not drinking because I just don't feel like it. That's you being cool about what you do. But for somebody who has an abuse issue and they're trying to be sober, it becomes like, and now I feel like I have a spotlight on me because Mm -hmm. I'm not drinking tonight. And so it's self-inflicted in some ways. And for me, when I was experiencing sobriety at first, I really craved – well, I craved alcohol. But um, I also craved almost like a role model or somebody at work who Mm -hmm. would be like – I'm going to this event at the bar and this is what staying sober looks like. And it's not because I'm a raging alcoholic and can't handle my beer, but it's because I'm fine with being sober. And like, I knew there were people that didn't always drink, but I didn't know why. And they never made it. It was never the same level of like, there's the people saying, let's go to the bar and get shit faced. And then nobody's saying, let's go to the bar and still get sober. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. But like, I needed that person. And so that's who at least, I, I'm trying to like advocate that – and you can you can still be somebody that like drinks and be that person. You don't have to be in recovery to be that person so that says, yes, yes. hey, I'm going to the bar and you know what? It's cool. I just want to see you there. Like right. I'm not going to interrogate you, which is a whole other like yeah. we'll shitty talk, thing we'll to do. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> that is on my list of things to talk about. So would you say that you have, so talking about like the absence of doing something or like, I feel like we have the same issue around things like people who are atheists, like there's nothing to say. I just don't believe in something or people who abstain from sex. Like there's just, it's just, it's not a thing. It's a nothing. Right. Do you have a sobriety practice? Like, are there things that you do that are... More than just the absence of alcohol, but are actually right. like um, well, habits. You know, 
Yeah, I definitely at at this point. So in April, it's officially two years, and I don't do like counting the days or the months anymore. And I think that it's become more ingrained in me. But as I've reflected on on what got me through, especially the first year, there were definitely some key things that I had to incorporate. And the biggest one right off the bat was like finding support outside of myself. Mm-hmm. There was just not really any way that I could have climbed that mountain. At least that's what it looked like at, at the starting point without hearing people who had already traveled that path through, you know, support group meetings and through counseling and hearing people say like, not even that it gets easier, but that you can survive this because in a weird way, as somebody who wakes up with this craving for something that you think you can't have anymore, you, you almost wonder how you're going to survive mm-hmm. without it. And it really becomes that cheesy cliche that each breath or each step is just what you focus on. And when you get to the next, you realize, well, you're not, I'm not dead, so I must be surviving. And so Finding support either through support groups, through, you know, even things like I think it's fine to read self-help books or I'd spend a lot of time reading and listening to self-help or listening to podcasts, just really getting out of your own head and being able to put your issues out there and and listen to things and people that that can provide you with the support that you're going to need, especially up front while you build other routines. And then, you know, for me, very specifically, a lot of my time then became filled by writing. But it was when when I became sober, everything started working a lot better. So being an alcoholic or being an alcohol abuser, I had made a mess of my life and I had to come to terms with that. And stopping drinking allowed me to stop breaking things the way I was when I was drunk and start repairing the actual issues that I had. And so for me, a big one was my relationship with uh, the woman who at the time was my fiance and is now my wife and the mother of my baby and our relationship. And she drank, she would drink wine, but she was not an alcoholic and she was not somebody who did the things that I did. And so she didn't need to go through this process of unabusing alcohol or sobriety in the same way that I did. And our relationship was reflected. The negative pieces of our relationship was reflected in my use of alcohol. So once I stopped, our relationship got so much better to the point where like that became a very wonderful thing in my life was, was rebuilding this relationship with somebody who I had done a lot of damage to the relationship. Um, and and so I was able to focus on that as being sort of a replacement for my routine um, of, of drinking. And then um, really you, you have to find some, some goals. I think I, I know that some people do support groups and that's sort of going to be their thing for the rest of their life. And some of those people then turn around and become mentors or sponsors or whatever to others. But for me, it was really like, I became so busy setting goals and achieving them or achieving the little steps along the way that my life, you know, alcohol, not that I never thought about it, but it didn't play the significant role that I thought it did when I first stopped drinking, which was, you know, the whole, how am I going to survive? How, what do you do at night if you're not drunk? What do you do at the daytime if you're not 
thinking about getting drunk. What do you do when you travel for business and you have your company card and you can run up a tab at any bar you want to as high as you want? And all those things seemed like insurmountable obstacles. And even at times, like, I'll find an excuse to drink. And um, instead, those became afterthoughts. And then alcohol, unfortunately, but I guess for a good reason, sort of became this nostalgic thing of like, Oh, I remember when I could drink and it would be so nice if I, if I was able to have a drink like those good old days. But, but, you know, those are for me, not really the true memories of, of what drinking was. That's a lot to deal with. Like that is a multi-pronged, uh, like approach to undermining you. Hey, like, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it can be something that I can go days or whatever without thinking about alcohol at all. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, this song comes on and <laughs> yeah. I used to really like the feeling of being drunk to that. Or, yeah. um, And so it's, it's still dangerous, but just I don't put myself in a situation and I don't hold people's beers for them. I don't <laughs> make, make it so that I'm you – know, I drink a lot of seltzer water, so uh, I like the bubbly, fizzy feeling. And, and you know, I don't stay away from – settings that have alcohol like I don't stay away from bars my wife she will drink wine and she has wine in the house and I I'm not a wine drinker but that's still that's I'm not afraid of that kind of slip up right I, I think that it's more of this like whole it, my life was not good when I was drinking but now I feel like oh you know alcohol was was this nice thing and if I could only compliment my life with it but again, it's not like this daily thing. And when I do feel that way, I do have – so I guess getting to your question around like practicing sobriety, you know, I'll I'll tell people. I'll tell my wife and I'll say like, oh, you know, I really was thinking about how fun it would be drunk at a concert um, right. or whatever. And you know, she'll tell me how much more fun she thinks our life is now <laughs> with, and, and uh, you know, that she's proud of me. And f for the most part, that works. And also – I, I use writing as an outlet, so right. I, I, I can reflect on things. And you know, not everything I write has to see the light of day, but at times it just gets you through a moment to reflect on it. Or um, so I, I guess in those ways, I, I do have a practice of sobriety. But I don't wake up in the morning and like fold my sheets in a certain way and make sure that I, you know, touch two walls before I leave the house right. so that uh, everything feels right. I, I sort of have just this messy, regular life that most people have and the added thing of I, I, I'm a much better person being sober and it keeps me out of trouble. Right. Um, so uh, fizzy drinks at bars. I, I yeah. mean, I know that having something nice to drink at when I'm not drinking, because I, I do sometimes not drink, whether I'm like the designated driver or it's a work night or whatever. Well, I was pregnant twice, so I would like yeah. several months of not drinking, like having something nice to drink, something special. Like I feel like, um, like not just getting a water or a ginger ale, but, mm -hmm. you know, something that actually kind of has some of that, um, even nostalgia to it that makes Definitely. it tolerable to not be drinking alcohol. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I get what you're saying in terms of like, 
you shouldn't just be like relegated to the the soda yeah bin or whatever and i agree and i think that that's definitely an afterthought at most events um mm. in terms of like even having even having something beyond water and then even when it's water you know having enough or yeah so it's like there's definitely this level of an assumption that when an event is going to involve alcohol that people are showing up to drink so let's get as much and as varied alcohol as we can and then you know stop there or if we have soda it's mostly for mixing um, yeah if it's water it's for hydrating so you can drink right. more yeah. Exactly. And so, I mean, I mentioned it in some of my articles, but I am a huge fan of seltzer water. And part of it is just I like how it – I think – I don't know if it's more carbonated than regular soda, but it's also calorie-free. And I can drink it and I can chug it the way I used to chug beer. Yeah. And I can pee just as much as I had to when I would chug beer. <laughs> and the whole important. Yes, definitely. It's important to, to be in the restroom as a reminder that I've been drinking too. <laughs> I remember, I don't know, this is weird. I, this just occurred to me. There is a movie called Triple X. Do you remember this? With um I do Vin Diesel, right? Vin Diesel. And okay. do you know what he drank in that movie? No, I can't. I Cranberry can't. and soda. Is that that was his thing? That huh? was his drink. All right. Uh, somebody can correct me if I'm way <laughs> off. Now I might have to go watch the movie again. But uh, I believe Yeah, it sounds like a good reason. He Yeah, exactly. That that's Completely 100% why I would watch that movie again. Um, I think he was like, he was sober in that movie. Yeah. So there you go. Real men like Vin Diesel have <laughs> right. drinks like cranberry and, and what was it? Cranberry and soda. Cranberry and soda. Then, you know, there I can do it too. If, if it's good it. enough for Vin Diesel, right? That's, That's what right. most sentences start with. Yep. Well, I think that for me, it is interesting and you know things like that having it be in some sort of pop culture uh it, it's important it is important to socialize sobriety right. in a way that makes it acceptable because at the same time we don't root against people we shouldn't root against people who are trying to be sober it's not it doesn't offend anybody you know i'm trying to be relatively unoffensive in my publicizing of of sobriety but you know i don't wish people who want to drink to not get drunk. I wish them to not necessarily be drunk around me. Right. And so I think that when we put a face or we put some type of like, I always like to hear when a celebrity, I don't know who is it like Demi Lovato, I think is just experienced another year of sobriety. And I always think it's nice to just see those headlines that their fans and people that follow them can think like, I don't have to be, drunk or I don't have to use drugs to fit in and you know here's a role model or somebody that is considered successful who who has learned a lesson and decided to stay away from these substances because it's just not good for them. Right. And I think a lot of people um that isn't the front of their mind a lot of the time which is why I think uh, um the natural response when somebody isn't having a drink say at a bar is to go well why aren't you drinking? Which I mean, I think you and I are on the same page here is a question that should never, ever, ever leave your mouth. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and I think that it's something that I've said and I'll say in any opportunity I have, which is like, 
there's a simple formula, which is you never ask. Like, should I ask that question? The answer is never. Um, exactly. and, and I know that there's like this level of um, comfort that people have, like with their friends and whatever. And so, oh, I'm just, just, just giving you a hard time about the fact that you're not drinking. But you might have a friend who's decided they have trouble with alcohol. And at the same time, they don't really feel like getting into that with you. And so, you know, the other thing that I've thought about is all the things we wouldn't ask somebody that, that out, why aren't you drinking becomes a proxy for, which is, are you pregnant? We right. wouldn't just ask somebody that. Are you on antipsychotic medication that doesn't work well with alcohol? You wouldn't ask somebody that right. out of the blue. Are you, and I heard on a commercial the other day for Cialis, the uh, erectile mm -hmm. dysfunction drug, that you shouldn't be drinking on that. So you wouldn't ask somebody, are you experiencing erectile dysfunction? At least I wouldn't. Um, why would you ask them why they aren't drinking? Because that's what that question just becomes. Uh, it's really just serving in, in its place, you know? Well, exactly. And, Every single reason, valid reason, why you wouldn't be drinking is none of anybody's business and 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 pretty private. Yeah. And if the concern is like, I'm concerned about you, why aren't you drinking? You just need to be supportive. It's not like, I'm concerned about you. You should be drinking. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is I wonder, is there like a, a you know, close friends, um, you've socialized and drank together before, but you have noticed they aren't drinking lately. I wonder, no, there really isn't a, a way to ask. Like, no, I mean, in terms of like things like sobriety, I think I would look at it very similarly to pregnancy in terms of somebody will tell you when they're comfortable with it, when mm -hmm. they, uh, and maybe even like, you know, I know that I just recently, I have a one-year-old now, so I went through the whole baby thing and, and through telling people. And in the very beginning, at least our concern was like, is this real? Is this going right. to stick? We don't want to get people. And you know, that when I think about it is exactly how you feel about sobriety in the beginning. Right. And and actually you continue to feel that way because the most common story for someone who's sober is that they relapse. And so it can be scary to put it out there. I think for myself doing things like coming on your show and writing articles, I'm hoping is building some level of like accountability for myself. Like I don't want to be that guy who right. is trying to say, but at the same time, really, I don't know what the stats are, but relapsing is a common story. And so just like letting the cat out of the bag about being pregnant, you don't want to have to pull it back after you say, you know, I've, I've have got a drinking or a drug addiction issue and I'm, I'm, I'm good now. So nobody worry. Right. Good. And then the next day they see you at a bar and it's like, oh, well, you know, what level of concern should I express? Should Is it calling the police level of concern or is it ignore it and buy you a drink concern? So right. I can see that like as a friend and thinking you might have a friend with an issue who's dealing with it, like that asking them might seem like, oh, you know, I, I want to support you. But it, it could be probably a, a pretty delicate topic. And, you know, for myself – I think that everybody just appreciated I stopped drinking. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was not necessary for me to be like, I'm done drinking. Um, it was obvious because I was just not anything like the horrible person that I was when I was drinking. And, and that was good for everybody. Right. 
Um, yeah. But I did go through, you know, a lot of questions, uh, especially from colleagues who I didn't feel like telling that I had a problem. Um, and in part because uh, you don't know how that's going to reflect on your professional life. Mm-hmm. But w- the culture was, is that, you know, everything from celebrating a successful project or taking a client out to woo them for, for a project that, that includes either a happy hour or multiple rounds of drinks at dinner and to constantly go from being a guy who drank the beer and drank the wine to ordering a seltzer water. I, I got more than a dozen sideways looks from people to, to wondering why. And and I did let some people in who were like close friends slash colleagues in on what I was doing. And, and those people were supportive in ways that I will always appreciate with things like, you know, understanding that we were meeting a client at a bar and then pulling me aside and saying, you know, are you comfortable with things? Is there anything I can do? Is this great? Um, and, and just little things like that can really make you feel like, okay, I can handle this. Um, but not wanting to just put everything out there, particularly when it seems like it's this fragile thing that you're still deciding if it's going to work or not, uh, can be intimidating. Yeah. And, and not wanting to share all kinds of details, with virtual strangers all the exactly. time repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because all of a sudden you're in a meeting with a client and your colleagues asking you why you're not drinking. Now you're talking to everybody about why you're an alcoholic. You're not talking. Right. And then they're like, and do I want to work with you? Exactly. Um, are you planning on relapsing soon? It's like, that's the kind of struggle that as totally. somebody who abuses a, a substance you have, which is like, yeah, I want everyone to be proud of me, but now are they secretly like, uh, right. he's going to fall off the wagon and we're going to have to clean it up. Moral of the story, just like your friend who's been in the closet gay or, you know, whatever, somebody's going pregnant, women, pregnant people, um, like the their story is their story to tell and... If you encounter someone in this situation and you know about it, shush is the moral of the story. Agreed. That's perfect way to put it. <laughs> Just shush. Just shush. So um, what are your favorite sort of tips for being the sober person at the party or at the table or at the conference or whatever? Um, do you have like things you do to like – because? Yeah. So to stay sober or just like things that I do to amuse myself? Yeah, to amuse yourself because it's not – Yeah, it, well, it I think the part of it is fun. it's definitely fun to try to find the people that have had too much to drink because that helps you be more thankful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the person who's on the verge of getting sick or the person who has gotten to the point where they're saying way too much and making it way too obvious that they're attracted to somebody. It's like – those situations where I could imagine replacing myself in, like I'm so thankful that that's not me. But right. at the same time, it sort of makes me sad. And I don't really I, – I can't and shouldn't feel sad for anybody else who's doing – making their own decisions. Um, but you know, I look at those situations and I think I can never take back the things that I did. But boy, I'm so glad that I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning – feeling and tasting my vomit or whatever, like that those are things that 
I can see happening now around me instead right. of probably being the person that everybody else could see. Other than that, you know, unfortunately, I think that when I first became sober, I was like, and I'm going to lose a bunch of weight. But I, I think I pretty much replaced all my beer calories with eating. I've got an insatiable appetite. And so if I'm at a party and there's food to be had, that's probably where you'll see me you know, look like, why is that guy wearing a trench coat? Probably just because I'm stuffing like a turkey underneath it so that I can take it for later. And I'm a vegetarian, but that's what I'll do because it's free turkey. Turkey, so, right. Whatever. It's worth money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'll, I will resell you that turkey out in the parking lot. Uh, I am a runner as well. And the other day, um, my husband brought home like a dozen donuts. It was a ridiculous <laughs> amount of donuts. And he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, this probably doesn't fit with your like fitness regimen. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is why I run. Right. Exactly. I run yes. so that I can have the donuts. Exactly. This is not offending me. This is playing into my plan. Yes. And on that note, so I don't know if it still exists, but at one point there was like a, if you're familiar with Krispy Kreme, it's yeah. a brand of donuts. I think it's sort of a Midwestern thing, but, yeah. um, they had like a Krispy Kreme 5K and I think at every one mile mark, you ate a donut. And I was like, if you do the math, you have gained weight by the end of that run. There's no way like you eat three or four donuts over three or four miles and you are in the positive for calories gained. You're not, but uh, but the, but that's the kind of thing that exactly it's like I could run and eat pizza at the same time. If I knew I was going to net neutral, I would do that in yeah. a heartbeat. Like you could just put a little like pizza bib around me and I would eat right off of it while I run. And that's why you do it. Although I do have, I have a friend who's sober. I will, she will remain anonymous here, but um, she lost a tremendous amount of weight and she attributes a lot of it to just quitting drinking. Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen. I'm just saying I'm not the guy with the right <laughs> self-control when it comes to eating that <laughs> I realized the benefit of not consuming 2000 calories in alcohol a night that I've just replaced it. So whatever. Oh, well. Yeah. One problem at a time, right? Exactly. I or guess. not a problem. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it it could be a problem, but I'm like, if I stopped running, I would just blimp up and that would be the problem. So it's like, I'm actually running from morbid obesity. That's what's chasing me when I run is <laughs> my insatiable appetite and 30 pounds of extra weight. Uh, so, okay. So here's a question for you. Um, what are you most surprised about, about sobriety? Well, based on what I expected going into it, it's that I was able to maintain – it's a positive surprise, but it's that I was able to maintain all my relationships. Mm. When you have your life set up around drinking and stopping that is, is a scary thing. I mean it becomes an excuse, but it also feels very real when you think, well, if I stop drinking, like all my friends and family are going to leave me. They yeah. won't. They won't want to associate with me. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that there aren't like fake friends or the kind of friends that are more along the lines of misery loves company. And they're not really into you trying to better yourself if it's going to be moving away from the bar. And so I just didn't seem to be running with that crowd. And in particular, like, you know, my fiance, like I said, we drank together. And so my concern was she didn't have the issue. She was going to keep going to bars and I couldn't tag along or she was going to, you know, look at me as some 
pretty much handicapped or third wheel kind of person from the future on after I stopped drinking. And, you know, that was a real fear and I expressed it and it, it never happened. It didn't happen once. There was never like a, well, I'm going to the bar now. I'm sorry. I can't, can't hang out with you tonight. And so that, that was pleasant surprise. Um, and I guess on, I'll compliment it with the negative surprises, just the, how aware I became of the way alcohol use permeates our culture mm-hmm. and the way that it's like craft beer. Everything is a craft beer. Everything is like, oh, I've had a rough week. I deserve a bottle of wine. And I feel like it's not even something that people are consciously doing at this point. And I have to wonder how we got there. Um, is that just the nature of alcohol? or Or like it becomes this thing where we defend alcohol – and I'll give you an example that's somewhat fictitious, but it's almost as if every time you say, you know, people shouldn't be drunk, there's this person that jumps up and says, well, you know, Benjamin Franklin signed the Declaration of Independence drunk, and that's where all the great thinkers got their power. And it's like, no, A, that's not true. B, we don't need like that level of somebody coming to alcohol's defense. Like, it's okay to love alcohol, but we have it just everywhere, it seems like. And and maybe it's something that I become more aware of as a sober person. I also quit smoking a long time ago, much longer ago. And as a, an ex-smoker, I feel like I'm hypersensitive to the smell of smoke mm-hmm. and how gross it is. So it, there could be some element of that. But I have trouble believing that it's all in my head when there's so many – commercials and just propaganda around how great it is to drink and very little of it is complimented with either but it's okay to be sober or but you know some people a certain percent of us are just having our lives absolutely ripped to shreds mm-hmm. by the consumption of alcohol but hey you know this drink is responsibly this right exactly it's like yeah so i think that that's something and that's what's provided me some motivation about being vocal and, and trying to at least say, hey, you know, I'm not going to go one-on-one with the culture of alcohol, but I would like to raise some awareness and say that there's a lot of decent people that don't drink and we can do some super simple things to support them as well. Right, exactly. If if uh, if you're not doing it, if you're choosing to not do it for yourself, at least – support people who are like certainly not out there to hurt anybody and are just trying to live better lives. I'm not yeah. sure why we would want to stand in the way of that. So if, um, what do you think if somebody wants to take, uh, a first step or two toward seeing if maybe a sober life would be better for them, what do you think they should do? Recognizing that you're probably, you're, well, you're kind of a, psychology professional but yeah i mean i i definitely i'm not an addiction specialist by any means but i have gone through through that and i do understand like the psychology of and a lot of the psychology that i'm familiar with is behavior change um and particularly in behavioral health you need to have some sense of control over your decisions and over what's going on. And I think that part of bringing that sense of control to somebody who feels like they've lost it 
around a substance is really reaching out and finding some channel of support because you really get lost in all the details of why you should or shouldn't try to be sober and all the fear that comes along with that. And if you just stay in your own head with it, it can become something where you stick with the the abusive behavior, abusing the substance or whatever, because that's the safer choice. So for me, you know, it was this fear of losing my friends and family, this fear of whatever would I have to do as a sober person that would be fun again. And I could have just stuck with that. But when you start to look for support and you start to get outside of your own what you do and who you do it with and, and maybe attend a support group meeting or start reading some material that, that people who are in recovery have written and you see that these fears are like the most common fears and they've also been experienced by people who have had a lot of success with sobriety that it becomes a little more reassuring that, yeah, my life is going to change and some of it might not all be for the better, but things aren't going so great right now. It's worth giving it a shot. Um, and the other thing is you have to have the right reason. And I don't think I ever truly understood that. So, you know, I had a long history of abusing alcohol. I didn't do it for a couple of weeks. I did it for years. And part of that involved hurting a lot of people and making a lot of apologies and making a lot of attempts at amendment. And, um, it's a, something that you hear said is, you know, change for yourself, not for other people. And I don't think I understood that, but it became true for me when I did my version of hitting rock bottom, which was I had to change for me because my life was a mess. And in previous attempts to change had always been, I have to change because I owe somebody an apology and I need to show them that I'm truly sorry. And so Ah, how long is it going to take for this person to realize that I'm truly sorry so that I can start drinking again? Um, and and that never – that won't work. And so whether you have to really just look in the mirror and convince yourself, I don't know the best way of doing it outside of hitting rock bottom. I like to think that it's rock bottom is like this subjective thing. And so if you decide today you've hit rock bottom, potentially that's good enough um, based on whatever your experience is. But you need to convince yourself that 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 you are worth it and you are why you're doing it. And if you lose the people or you lose whatever it is you're holding on to, that something better is going to come along to replace that. You can build that something better using all of the energy that you might have uh, been spending on being uh, abusing a substance. So that that's what I would say is very much something that you first need to come to terms with though. And if you don't feel like you've hit the space where you want to take a step back for yourself, then it might not be the right time, but it might be a good time to take a few days of a break and understand, you know, why is it that this thing, if it's alcohol or a drug, why is it that this thing has become so important to you? What is it doing for you that's making your life better? What is it possibly covering? You know, for me, it was covering up some other issues that I had that I needed to deal with and that I couldn't deal with until I got away from alcohol abuse. And it was also stunting me in terms of the creativity that I wanted to express through my writing. And so if you find that a substance is doing that to you, 
I think that you need to really justify then why are you keeping on using it because you have other opportunities to be investing your energy and time. Nice. And I want to put a challenge out there for people who uh, are perhaps not abusing alcohol and don't have um, a substance abuse problem, but like on the regular use alcohol, maybe try once when you go out, not and just build some empathy and uh, see what it's like for people who are, you know, battling and uh, maybe become a better person. You know, you're not quitting forever. Um, Like just see what it's like. Uh, Personal growth, chalk it up to you. Maybe the world will be a little better for people who are struggling. Yeah, I think that we all, you know, I'm very empathetic to people that like to drink. I know how that is. Totally. (laughs) I love to drink. (laughs) So, you know, I'm doing my part. But no, I think that it never hurts to to have some understanding of of where other people are coming from. Yeah. You know, at the same time, I don't wish alcohol abuse or issues on anyone. And so, you know, if... If you if you don't struggle with it, good, absolutely good. I don't wish you any ill will. Um, and and it's something where I think that a lot of what's come up in our conversation has just been, it's so simple to, it's not even really accommodating. You can make it a normal part of your life and of your conversation to not be abrasive to people who are trying to stay sober, who are in a completely different situation, and you might never be able to relate to it. Right. And, I think it's also worth noting that um, that there's not a nice, clear, thinly drawn, perfect line between you have an alcohol problem and you don't have an alcohol problem. That there's a lot of gray area um, in how people use substances, and that maybe you have maybe you have a problem, but it's not addiction, or maybe you don't have a behavioral behavioral problem, but you do have a chemical addiction or, or, or a habit that is maybe not healthy. Um, and I'm, I think, I'm not sure how to, we could probably have a whole additional podcast about it, but like how to deal with being in that in-between area where it's like, well, like, I don't actually think I need to quit, you know, cold Turkey or something, but I also want to do better things with my life and, and what are the things I can do? Maybe alcohol is quitting alcohol is one of them or, or cutting back alcohol is one of them. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's something where like, like you said, it's just trying to define yourself with that diagnosis is very difficult. And I don't even know necessarily medically where you have to hit to be considered you know, an alcoholic, right. but there's a certain percent of people who are that, and then there's a much larger percent of people who are struggling in life and they're giving themselves extra issues by either self-medicating with alcohol or drugs or just abusing alcohol in a way that leads to behavior that that maybe, you know, you get drunk and do something stupid once or twice and that those are things that can follow you for much longer than the time you spent drunk. So, yeah, there it's, it's all a gray area in my mind because even if you're diagnosed as an alcoholic, then 
you have to do something about it, yeah. whether or not you decide to. And you, so the more time you spend trying to figure out, like, do I have a problem is probably time better spent addressing it in some way. Any questions I should be asking you or any other points you want to make? Only if you wanted to ask me, how could people follow up with me if they're interested? That I, I will do. Where can people that. find you on Twitter for starters? All right. Well, I'm at Victor Yako, which is V-I-C-T-O-R-Y-O-C-C-O. Imagine that it was available. <laughs> nice. I like that it's victory and then Ako. Yes. It's very cool. I know. And I've actually had people refer to me as Victory Akko. Have you ever really met somebody with that name? Because <laughs> if so, then yes, that's me. <laughs> that is absolutely me and I'll take it. But I just I'm I'm surprised that, you know that would be the assumption anybody. <laughs> you might want to camel case that, that one, yeah. <laughs> And then I'm also that at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email and if you have any questions or if there's anything that came up that struck a chord with you, since I've done some writing and being public, I do get the occasional email, somebody saying, you know, whatever you said spoke to me or didn't speak to me, um, that if you take the time to send me a personal message, I will take the time to reply to you with a personal message back. And yeah, I think that, Part of my hope is that I can make a difference for somebody. And even if it's just giving them, even if you don't have a problem, if I'm giving you a level of insight into somebody who you might know that does, then I, I'm happy to do that and, and to explain anything further if needed. Nice. We are going to add links um, on the webpage to uh, some of your articles you wrote for Vox and for Model View Culture and um, and any other links I can find to your writing. Cool. Actually, I'll send you some. You don't have to Super. dig them. Um, and I just I actually just had a little reflection piece on two years of sobriety published on Conscious Magazine's website. Oh, cool. So I will send you a link to that. Nice. And um, anything else? You know, I'm. I'm pretty easy to find and I love writing and speaking. So if anybody has opportunities, I'm even easier to find if you have opportunities like that. <laughs> Excellent. I see you're going to be at AlterConf in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Right? I am in Minneapolis. I'll be speaking about, guess what? Um, the culture of alcohol in design and technology. And also, I'll be giving a similar but longer presentation than that at Drexel University, which is here in Philadelphia where I live. And I'm super excited because I think a lot of my, not only my colleagues, but a lot of the people who just run in the same circles that I do are going to, are going to show up. And my goal really is to have a dialogue. Like I have some suggestions and some solutions that worked for me and I don't need anybody to come to defend alcohol. Again, I don't think that's necessary, but like, I think that if we think about how we can make our atmosphere or our work environments and our events more inclusive it's just it's just better for everybody to do that versus saying you know well you have a problem screw you stay away if you can't handle it you know i'll order around for everybody in in your honor while you're gone like that's not the solution that we at least on on the face say is good enough right so like we all talk about being inclusive and we all talk about having spaces that people feel safe um, at both work and events. So you need to understand that if you create an environment where 
consuming alcohol is is the norm and it's promoted, then you're obligated in my mind to also complement that with a space that provides support and safety for those who are going to refrain from drinking alcohol. And, and it can be done pretty simply. Totally. Love yeah. that. Cool. Links and everything will be at goodstuff.fm slash up slash 26. Thank you, Victor, for being here and for sharing your story and your ideas and your heart with us. And it's been a pleasure. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Carrie. And anything I can do for you, you now have my contact information as well. Yay. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Hey, hey thanks for listening. Links for today's show can be found at goodstuff.fm slash grownup slash 26. As always, you can find us on Twitter at grownups underscore FM. And we are on iTunes where you can download, subscribe, and rate and review the show if you liked it. Talk to you soon.